Happy Easter. I think some people are, are still some people looking for a seat. I know there's room in the chapel. Is there any empty seats by you? Raise your hand or move in. We have, so we have some empties. If you just raise your hand, like, there you go. I, I always say this when we do this. I used to go snow skiing in California, remember? And you used to raise your hand and say, single? That's like you can't do that anymore in our culture, right? It's like that means something completely different. But don't worry, in church you're safe. Uh, so you have some seats there if you guys see the hands raised. There you go, all over. So there, there should be plenty. There's two in the front. Uh, careful if you sit in the front, though. <laughs> Easter's so great, as Bobby said, isn't it? It's this time where churches all over the world swell. They just get bigger, and it's because... For some reason, no matter where your faith journey is, you find yourself drawn to, we're supposed to do Easter. We're supposed to do Christmas Eve, right? There's something in us. And I don't know what it is, but we, we often find ourselves getting lost in the midst of what is our faith really about. And we get lost in religion. We look for directions from so many different places. Have you read some of the stories about people getting lost with GPSs? Have you ever read these? They're fascinating. Look them up, Google them, like the 10 worst stories about GPS accidents. Like people literally getting on train tracks, people driving into rivers. Uh, in, there was a, a Japanese couple that drove right into the Pacific Ocean. I mean, and all it does is it takes you, just quit staring at what everybody, at what this machine is telling you to do and just look. Look around you what's happening. One of my favorite stories, this couple from England, late 70s, never used a GPS. They're traveling throughout Europe, southern Austria, late at night, and sure enough, the GPS voice says, turn right. They make a hard turn right to find themselves going through the wall of an old church and found themselves in church. I don't know how you got here this morning if you looked at your GPS, uh, but I want to simplify this morning, and I want to I tell you a little, probably make it a little bit safer and maybe look up from all the different messages we're hearing from the world Be because the world's giving us a lot. Look at this picture. I don't know what this guy's thinking, but these are all the different GPSs. I don't know what he does for a living. Uh, quite fascinating. But we're here at Easter and, and Easter has really some solid basic teachings about what Easter's about. And I want to reduce that down for you. And I, I think sometimes in the church we can get so complicated and make Easter so much uh, harder to understand. And I think we veer off sometimes some of the basics and simple principles of Easter. It reminds me of the story of the guy, the true story, who couldn't afford a spit. You know, the ones that turn the meat. I'm not really a big cooking guy, but that, that's the spit, you know. And he decided for Easter, he was going to take an old washing machine he had and the motor, and he built his own spit. It was pretty amazing. Pretty proud of it. He had, he had rigged it, set it up. Easter, the thing's spinning and, and cooking the lamb. Everybody's outside. It's a nice sunny day. And he'd never run it all the way through because he was just testing it. Did it work? Well, all of a sudden, as everybody's sitting down, he heard a click, and the spin cycle started. <laughs> And there was lamb all over everyone. I, I think sometimes we make a mess of Easter. And I think, as Bobby said, I think sometimes we treat it, treat it so uh, much like just a religious punching the card. And we forget there's a basic 
premise to Easter of really what is true. Remember the story when Jesus uh, is being convicted, convicted for no crime, really set up. And remember the, the Jewish uh, leaders at that time sent him to Pilate. They, they wanted to, to have Pilate crucify him. And remember the conversation? I think it's in John 8. John 8, Pilate looks at him and says that you've done nothing. And why are you even here? And remember the question? He says, are you a king? Are you really a king? And Jesus goes into this discourse of, I'm, I'm a king, but not of this kingdom. And I'm sure it so confused him. And he talked about truth. Jesus talked about truth. And remember Pilate's question. At the end of that dialogue, right before he goes back out, he says, what is truth? I think for many this morning at Easter, there's a draw to be here because there's a question that just sticks back in, the, in your mind and you can't get rid of it is what's really true. Or, or another way to think about it, it's like the pebble in your shoe and you, you, you keep wearing that shoe and it's in there and you keep, something's bugging you about the reality of this world and truth. And friends, we get so many messages today in our world. The messages of you can write things, just be a good person. And friends, Easter teaches so much, uh, so much deeper than just writing the scales of right and wrong. I want to teach you this morning and give you two landmarks, two historical, uh, really, icons for you that I think can help you this morning. My wife and I saw the movie Risen. How many saw that movie Risen? It's a very interesting movie. It's a story of, it's kind of a written-in story, it's not in the Bible, but of a Roman prefect who, who's trying to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead by finding a body. He's an investigator. And a great line when he asks this question is, what frightens you? This Roman prefect says, being wrong and banking my eternity on it, wagering my eternity on that. I wonder some of you who maybe show up for Easter or Christmas, and there's no shame in that, but you haven't really stepped in foot of churches that much. Some of you are even questioning what is true. Are you willing to wager eternity on that? And I think this morning I want to teach you from the scriptures two kind of GPS points that scripture teaches that we should understand when it comes to Easter. The first one really is the one that's called Passover, and that really symbolizes this door kind of door frame, this door, doorway into possibly what it might have looked like in ancient Egypt when the Israelites were in slavery for about 400 years. And the story is that God's people have been chosen and a leader arises from them. Remember, it's, it's the basket of Moses. He's a baby and he's floating down the river and Pharaoh's daughter raises him and he becomes kind of one of the princes. But he then defects and goes to the wilderness and God calls him and says, now it's time for my people to leave. Well, this had to be crazy for the Israelites because all they had known was slavery, 400 years. Everything was normal for them about just being slaves. But God starts to ensue and try to change the heart of Pharaoh. And you read that story in Exodus. It's powerful because Pharaoh's heart just continues to get hardened. Plague number one, plague number two, it's the, the movie you've seen, right? The plagues and the Ten Commandments, and you've seen the plagues, and it gets down to the tenth plague. Remember the tenth plague? It's the, it's the plague of the angel of death. God basically says, I'm going to send the angel of death throughout Egypt, and anyone who doesn't put blood on the doorposts 
Of their homes, I will kill their firstborn of animals and children. Now, I want to give you the passage here. It's in Exodus 12. It says, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them till the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, same time. So God's setting up some instructions. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Now, why blood? I mean, I've had a lot of people ask me, why blood? Why is, this seems so just archaic, doesn't it? You go all the way back in your Bible in Genesis. In Genesis, there's a story of Cain killing Abel. Many of you remember that story. Remember what happens? God says, Abel's blood is crying out to me. And one of the things he says is that blood will be for blood. It will pay a price. Blood is like the, it's, it's the currency that will cover debt. And so what we see is, in Israel at this point, this is new to them. Could you imagine what was going on? I mean, in the minds of the Israelites, could you imagine the families? Hey, tell our son, the teenager's son, go get a lamb, kill it, and put it on the door. Oh, mom, I don't want to do that, right? None of the Egyptian boys are doing this, right? It's not cool. But you can imagine, and, and what the scripture says is they were supposed to do this and they were to dip that, the, the branches of hyssop and, and to put it on the doorposts and to, I'm going to make sure I don't get my new shirt messed up here. Uh, yeah, they put all the blood on the doorposts of, of their homes. Had to be a weird scene. Had to be an awkward moment. Had to be something that probably created some doubt in their minds. It says here, it says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt, God says, and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. Every god that Egypt has kind of set up for themselves, their own GPS coordinates that the world says is right, let them wager their eternity on those gods. God says, I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over. Now, some of you get the picture. Passover becomes a Jewish holiday that's celebrated from this point on in history as Jewish. If you're a good Jew, you would, you would begin to pass, still, they practice Passover. It's they take a lamb and they would eat a lamb that night, and it's on the same night. And so this tradition continues to happen because of the passing over of the angel of death on the homes that were obedient. It says no destructive, uh, destructive plague will, will strike or touch you or strike you in Egypt. So what's the first principle? The first principle here is these people had to believe. What did they have to believe? They had to believe the core, the, the innermost core of their lives. We're not just talking about intellectual ideas. James, the half-brother of Jesus writes, you believe in God, Good job. He, he kind of mocks. He says, uh, demons also believe in God. So this is more than just an intellectual acceptance of something. This is at the core. You believe it to where it causes you to do something. They had to believe in who God was and what was coming. And that what God had said he was going to do, would, he would do if they had not done what they were supposed to do. It's, it's belief that causes a response. It reminds me of the, two, the eight and ten-year-old boys in a, in a small little village in early America, and 
They were totally troublemakers. Troublemakers, and the town knew it, and the village knew it, and the parents knew it, and they said, finally, we've got to end this. Send our eight-year-old. We'll, we'll do it one at a time. Send the eight-year-old to the pastor down the street. So they did. The pastor sets him down in front of him and stares at him, you know, as only a pastor can do, and freak him out, um, and looks at him and points and says, where is God? Eight-year-old boy's freaking out, like, what's he saying? So he, he kind of raises his voice, where is God? The eight-year-old boy doesn't know what to say, so he screams. He says, where is God? The boy, in terror, just jumps up, runs home, runs all the way into the house, upstairs, into his room, past his 10-year-old brother, hides in a closet. Ten-year-old bo- brother comes in and says, what's going on? He goes, I don't know, but God is missing, and they think we took him. I think to believe something so deeply that you have a fear, that you have a sense of, I remember the first time that I was introduced to this idea that God, that God would bring judgment on those who weren't obedient. And I remember hearing that story as a seven-year-old in Apple Valley, California, and hearing for the first time that God would offer a way to pass over. He would pass over, that angel would pass over. And I remember asking my mom, mom, I don't, I don't want to be in hell. I don't, I believe in who he is. I don't want to wager my eternity on something that I think is true. I want to bank on what I, I'm hearing is true and I believe it. And so I got on my knees and I came to Christ on that day in 1971 in July. Do you believe something to your core that it just, it just moves you? Blaise Pascal, a philosopher and and kind of a theologian, wrote this, belief is a wise wager. Granted that faith cannot be proved, what harm will come to you if you gamble on its truth and it proves false? I mean, think about this in this light. What were they losing if they were to put some blood on their doorposts? Think about that. Think about all of the people who didn't do it. I'm not doing that. That's dumb. No one else is... Egyptians aren't doing it. They're the ones who are famous and popular and dressed well. Think about all the voices we listen to today that say, oh, that's not right. You say, saying, and, and you wonder, after that night of horrible screams, it says there were screams like none other that night of firstborn dying. Do you think in the heart of hearts they would have said, I should have wagered on that. It says, what, what harm is going to come to you if you gamble on its truth and it proves false? If you gain, you gain it all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he exists. The first GPS point, if you will, to recalibrate our Easter is believe. Believe that God is who he says he is and that he is a just God and wants to eliminate the evil of sin. And I think that's important for us to understand here this morning. Because I think we've gotten so caught up in other GPS, you know, it's like that car, all these different messages. And and some of you grew up with this idea that you can get it right. If you just do some good on this side, God like has a scale for you up in heaven and he's somehow kind of balancing it out. Oh, you know, they recovered, they gave a little bit. Not at all. 
Do you realize the morality of anybody in Israel didn't matter? You had to have blood on the doorpost. That's the first coordinate this morning. The second one comes really 1,500 years later. 1,500 years later comes another symbol, really more appropriately probably what Jesus died on, this, this, this type of a cross. But 1,500 years of animal sacrifice. Because remember, Passover happened. And God sets up the law in Leviticus and he starts to say, listen, it's about justice and it's about the law and obedience. If you do something wrong, here is what you do to right it temporarily. Here's a goat. Here's a dove. Sacrifice this. And so, sacrifice after sacrifice, 1,500 years, sacrifice, 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 priests. All this is your Old Testament. And do you get this sense in that, that there was a, you couldn't fix it? The struggle of getting more animals and the, the struggle of you knew you were going to mess up. There were some 630-something different laws in Levitical law in, in Israel at that point. And so you, you were bound to mess up somewhere, just like today. Animal after animal. There were actually villages that were born all because their economy was based on raising sacrificial animals. Guess which one that you would probably know of? Bethlehem, where Jesus is born. So 1,500 years, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Then we find that Jesus comes on the scene and he starts to teach and he starts to talk about something. They go, wait, didn't something like that happen before? Jesus becomes the fulfillment of a foreshadowing of a Passover. Look at in Matthew, it says in Matthew 26, when Jesus had finished a meal with his disciples, he's saying all these things. He said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. I mean, isn't God, I mean, foolish for me to say, isn't God God and isn't like he gets it all right? He gets it all right is that he sets up Passover knowing full well that one day his son will be the Passover lamb. It says, as you know, two days away, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. First Corinthians says, therefore, purge out the old yeast. Get rid of, you know, yeast, it, 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 it ferments. And any type of fermentation in Israel is a, is a representation of sin. And it says, you're a new batch for Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So Jesus comes to, to eliminate to be the last sacrifice. And so in Hebrews it says, he used his own blood. I just want you to think about this picture. Could you imagine the Israelites remembering 1,500 years of the celebration of Passover and now Jesus is saying, I am this Passover. I'm going to use my blood. My blood is what we're going to put on the doorposts of eternity, of your life. He used his blood, not the blood of goats or bulls for the sacrifice. He went to the most holy place and offered this sacrifice once and for all to free us forever. That's a beautiful picture of, of Easter. It says in Romans, the message says it this way. It says, God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. That's our world. You see... The Israelites had Passover and they had a law and a way to temporarily fix the wrongdoing, the sin. 
But Jesus came to eliminate that no longer would there need to be priests and no longer sacrifices made. You no longer are trying to get it right through the law. Basically, the law was there to say we all mess up. Amen? Because I mess up. I'm so far from perfect. I'm a pastor that needs the sacrifice. I can't escape the, the Passover. I need the blood of Christ. And so it says that having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on, his, on this course of action with, in the full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus. Finally, taking care of the sins that he had so patiently endured. Do you think about that? That Jesus patiently endured your wrongdoing. I mean, think about the sin that was committed this week in this room. He patiently endured that. With you in mind, I think about that often, that on the cross, the Son of God thought of the sin that I would commit. It says, this is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. So friends, you think about the cross. The cross happens, and Jesus dies, and he resurrects, and he defeats death. We're on this side of the cross. We're, on, we're living, hopefully, in this place of freedom. It says it here. It, it's current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his, right, his rightness. We get to live free. Not trying to fix right and wrongs. So many people today play religion. And you're trying to get it right with God. If I can only do this. I, there are people I've talked to that are... They don't want to show up to church because they think the roof's going to fall in. You don't have no idea. I've got to clean my life up before I walk into that place. Friends, that's a wrong GPS coordinates. That's going to put you right into a lake. That's not something to wager your eternity on. God says, that's why I came to clean you up. You can't do it. The second coordinate, not only is belief, but the second is faith. It's faith in Christ. Faith that Christ is that sacrifice. And so the picture of that Christ, instead of you being on the altar and severely taking the punishment of death, he takes it for you and he crawls up onto the altar for you and I. But these two are really important for us to understand. And if we take these two and make it into one, I want you to think you have to have belief in the justice of God, that he is a righteous God and a holy God, and he can't have any part of sin. And you have to understand and have faith in the grace that God offers through the Son of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. But those together point you to one destination. You have to wrestle with mercy. If you don't wrestle with mercy... You, you're missing what the gospel in Easter is about. Because when you start to think about it, you and I need mercy. We, we need mercy more than ever. The word mercy, there's not really a direct word in the, in the Hebrew and the Greek. It means things like loving kindness and covenant and compassion. It's a deep feeling of compassion that leads to an action and rendering aid. And so when we think about God, the nature of God, the character of God, he's had mercy 
even in creation. Do you realize God created the heavens and earth and he created you and I, man, knowing we would rebel and having mercy already, knowing he was going to unfold mercy in the story of God, your Bible. See, mercy in our world today just means you've been pardoned a debt. It reminds me of of the true story of a mom who stood before Napoleon, the Emperor Napoleon, and her son was being convicted of two major crimes in Napoleon, and the woman was pleading for a pardon, and and he said, how could you plead for a pardon? He's, He's guilty and justice demands death. And the woman said, I'm not asking for justice. I'm pleading for mercy. And he said, ma'am, you don't understand. He doesn't deserve mercy. And she says, you're exactly right. Mercy isn't mercy if we deserve it. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. If you think about it this morning, what do we deserve for our rebellion? There's a great uh, Franciscan priest who said it this way. The Latin word is miscordia. It means miserable heart. And I love this picture as he paints it because it talks about the nature of God and his mercy. It's, It's having a pain in your heart for the pains of another and taking those pains to do something about their pain. It is the God, the creator of the universe that aches and pains with our aches and pains so much that he takes pain on by giving up his son. Friends, that's Easter. It's mercy. We're going to go to response time, and as the response, the, the choir's going to come out, and we're going to sing a song on the wonder of mercy. And there's, there's a great story in John chapter 8, and it's this great picture of, of Jesus displaying an amazing power of mercy in the life of one. And it's a story of an adulterous woman who who's caught in adultery, and now the commentaries will say she was trapped because for some reason they don't bring the man out. They were both caught in adultery. Why isn't the man out in front? Well, it was purely a setup. So somehow they bring her out. And they want to trap Jesus, and she deserved to be stoned to death, and they're ready, and all the Jewish leaders are ready, and they're picking up stones. And the picture is that Jesus looks at her and looks at the crowd, and then he he draws a line in the sand, and he says... Whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. Could I paraphrase? He says, whoever doesn't deserve mercy in this place, go ahead and throw your rock. And so one by one, they dropped their rock, probably recognizing even the Jewish leaders, I need mercy. I need mercy. It says that Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? As they were gone, all of them. Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. He says this, what a beautiful line in the Gospels. I don't either. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you mercy. You deserve it. You definitely deserve it, but I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'm giving you mercy. And he says, go now and leave your life of sin. And I want you to know this morning that you have to wrestle with mercy. You don't come to the cross of Christ on Easter or any other day looking down or trying to play like 
I'm just going to believe some parts of God. It, you've got to be drawn to the foot of the cross and kneel at that and, and wrestle with the mercy that you need. There's a song we're going to sing, and it's to some of the passion clips, and it's, called, it's by Matt Redman, The Wonder of Your Mercy. It's called Mercy. And his line, I never want to lose the wonder of your mercy. That's Easter. The wonder that a God that we would rebel against, that you and I did this week, that he would say, I give mercy. And it's through my son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to have a response, and we do this normally here uh, every so often, but this morning, I can't help but think that some of you have never surrendered your life to Christ and said, I need his mercy. You've never done that. I know some of you have, and I'm not asking you to rededicate your life. And, uh, you know, again, I remember I used to, like, accept Christ every week, right, at church. Like, I have to do it again. It didn't stick. I needed to do it again. It didn't stick. Friends, that's the, the hope of Christ is that one time. And you know in your heart of hearts when you have begged for mercy. During this song, our elders are going to be over there to your right off of those tables and some pastors. And some of you are just going to be compelled to get out of your chair. And I'm going to encourage you, don't wager your eternity by just sitting there because you're embarrassed. Friends, there are more in this room that are going to celebrate you, celebrating the wonder of his mercy. Of his mercy. And I'm just going to tell you to get out of your chair, and one of the, the elders or pastors will pray with you, maybe for the first time to receive the sacrifice of Christ on the cross so he, the death passes over your life. That's such a great promise. So during this song, would you do that, and then we're going to come back and do a response of, of resurrection called baptism. And so during this song, if you sense God moving in your soul, don't ignore that. Go right up to the front. Father in heaven, I pray right now during this song as we, we look at images that would depict an idea of what it might have been like, God, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you reveal to us the wonder of your mercy in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.